Thanks for downloading this Centre for the History of Medicine in Ireland podcast. For more information on the centre, go to ucd.ie forward slash history forward slash chomi. In this episode, a recording from the medical training, student experience and the transmission of knowledge circa 1800 to 2014 symposium, which took place in the UCD Humanities Institute in October 2014. The symposium was organised by Laura Kelly of University College Dublin and was generously supported by the Irish Research Council and the Wellcome Trust. Podcasting was by Real Smart Media. In this episode, a recording from Panel 5, Medical Education and Educational Reform in the 20th Century. The paper, Alternative Visions of Scientific Medicine, Homeopathic Medical Education in the Post-Flexner Era, was given by Nadav Davidovich of Ben-Gurion University of the Negev. Uh, thank you very much. Actually, it's a great pleasure to be here and returning to some of my uh, old work in many ways influenced and inspired by uh, uh, Professor John Harley Warner and, and Professor Nomi Rogers. Um, I'm today actually working on the history of medical education in Israel, uh, but more in the second part of the 20th century, since Israel was established in 1948. Um, and actually one of the questions is a more contemporary one that we're asking how in about six or seven years we're turning quite uh, intelligent and, and curious people to be arrogant and uh, um, you know, self-absorbed. Uh, on the other hand, maybe some minority that is interested in social justice issues and what is the role of medical humanities, maybe, in all, in all of that. So it was really interesting for me to return to some of, uh, of these uh, questions and uh, to bring some... I think history is really important here in the bringing the sensibilities. So I'll speak about other sectarians, uh, not religious sectarians, although there are interesting issues of religion and homeopathy, but I won't speak about it today. So in an editorial published on September 15, 1921, in the Boston Medical and Surgical Journal, later to become the New England Journal of Medicine, John P. Sutherland, the dean of Boston University School of Medicine, announced, and I'm quoting, reorganization which for three years has been in progress in Boston University School of Medicine is practically completed. Boston University School of Medicine, a homeopathic medical school until then, went through a reorganization process that included the renouncing of its sectarian title. So the aim of this paper today is to follow the debate over what should be the relationship between science and homeopathic medical practice, the questions of what is the relevance of the laboratory discoveries to the bedside and how the ethos of medical research should be incorporated into homeopathy tormented the homeopathic profession at the turn of the 20th century. The development of Boston University School of Medicine will serve as a case study uh, focusing on these questions, and by the end, sake of time, I'll make a short comparison uh, of another case study, the closure of the Homeopathic School of Medicine, uh, followed by a very different reaction of its alumni, University of Michigan Homeopathic Department, that was merged with the Orthodox Medical Department in 1922. And by the way, I think for the conference, the whole issue of alumni, uh, I think it's quite important. And sometimes you have alumni journals and, and, and lots of material and letters and materials. And uh, maybe there's something also to think uh, in context of, of our conference today. So in Michigan, the, um, this amalgamation program, and uh, for those of you who are not aware, in Mich- University of Michigan, there were two schools of medicine, one homeopathic, one uh, uh, regular uh, side by side uh, for about f- five decades. 
So this amalgamation program involved a bitter struggle from the local homeopathic profession and from active alumni who perceived the merger as a humiliating plan to extinguish homeopathy. In contrast to the Boston story that uh, I'll tell you, it's actually what the, frame, the name was to Bostonize homeopathy. Then, uh, The different visions of how scientific homeopathy should be taught and practiced and the relationship of homeopathy to the orthodox medical profession will be compared and situated in the different local mode of homeopathic, homeopathic practice in the U.S. So... Homeopathy, founded by Samuel Ahneman, you can see here, this is a, stat, a monument in, in Washington, D.C. So Samuel Ahneman founded homeopathy, as you know, in the late 18th century. It was introduced into the, the U.S. Uh, during the 30s and 40s, mainly by German immigrants. In contrast to the botanical medical movement of Samuel Thompson flourishing in the Jacksonian period, uh, which placed itself clearly in an anti-intellectual position that John was mentioning a bit uh, uh, yesterday, the homeopathic profession was made up mostly of well-educated physicians, many of them converts from regular schools. The patients were usually from higher socioeconomic strata and their practices were disproportionately located in urban centers. The identity they wanted to promote was that of a learned profession, one that would replace the sinking as we're calling them, and still sometimes allopathic profession. Homeopathy saw itself as a scientific experimental medicine, and to its practitioners, the central tenet of homeopathy, similia similibus curantur, or let like be cured by like, has the status of a natural law, and was considered equivalent to other natural laws, such as the law of gravity. So that's from another paper, but I think it's interesting here to show how Hahnemann, for example, was represented in this monument. So you can see Hahnemann is a student, Hahnemann uh, is a chemist, again, scientist, and Hahnemann uh, is, is the physician, the, the bedside uh, uh, manner. This is the inauguration uh, of the monument uh, with the pres presence of, of uh, McKinley, the, then the president of, of, of the United States. So the homeopathic profession were adopting many of the institutional symbols of their regular counterparts, namely journals, societies, medical schools. And one of these schools was the Boston University School of Medicine, established in 1873. And here you can see the Massachusetts Homeopathic Hospital, and some of those buildings are now part of Boston University. The Boston University School of Public Health is actually located one of those beautiful buildings. The immediate initiative for founding the school was the expulsion of several homeopathic practitioners from the Massachusetts Medical Society. The homeopaths understood that if they were to constitute themselves as a well-founded profession, they must establish a strong educational institutions. The, expul the expulsion trial and its consequences in many ways symbolized the situation of 19th century homeopathic medical profession in the US. Most of the expelled members graduated from regular medical schools, mainly Harvard, I mean in Boston at least, and were converted to homeopathy. And interestingly enough, the Massachusetts Medical Society was the last society to expel its homeopathic members, and that only after continuous pressure had been exerted by the AMA. As will be shown later, this was not a mere coincidence, but reflected the relationship, the unique relationship between uh, homeopathy and regular physicians uh, in, in Boston. And, and here you can see, actually, this is from many different sources, uh, homeopathy, homeopaths were about, let's say, eight percent to nine percent, depending on different time. Uh, but you can see that in the cities they can arrive, and this is between, this is the, the turn of the century, uh, up to even 14 uh, percent. H homeopaths are regulars. 
Um, so if the average was about 8-9%, so you, you can figure out that in those cities uh, this was really uh, uh, much higher than the average. The medical education reform that swept American scene at the turn of the 20th century did not go unnoticed by homeopathic colleges, including Boston University School of Medicine. The same reforms in medical curriculum, such as prolonging the academic uh, terms from the three months, later six months and nine months, introducing the, gra the graded courses, extending the medical studies first from two to three and then four years, were all initiated also by many homeopathic colleges, including Boston. Um, the school, for example, made its fourth year of study mandatory in 1890, being among the first to set a standard that was later adopted by virtually every medical school in the US. But scientific and laboratory ideals did not stop at the formal level. The homeopathic faculty's writings were permeated with the debate of how the basic sciences and laboratory methods should be incorporated into homeopathy without losing their unique identity. Although reviewing medical school catalogs from the turn of the century demands critical scrutiny, since often they reflect the competitive atmosphere of an era of multiplying medical schools, such review can at least indicate us the rhetoric and ideals promoted. So in a typical passage from, the eight, from an 1895 catalog, uh, the methods of instruction are described, and I'm quoting, didactic lectures have been largely supplanted by laboratory and clinical work. During the first two years of work, the student is largely in laboratories, where in addition to laying a broad foundation for future studies, particular attention is paid to training in technique, to developing the power accurately to observe and ability correct, correctly to record observation and results of experiments and stimulating the desire to make original uh, investigations. And they were also very proud of getting access to clinical materials in Massachusetts uh, homeopathic uh, hospital. And this is one from the catalogs and you know, reflecting about the gender issues, I don't have the time uh, today, but Actually, the Boston University School of Medicine was founded uh, on top of the New England College of Medicine that was, was a female a, a, a college. It's a long story, but uh, you can see uh, here again the, the, the reflection of the, the Im this image. But while the school was made proud of its chemical, physiological, microscopical laboratories, the most important laboratory in this homeopathic scheme was the pathogenetic laboratory, the place where homeopathic provings were, were done. The homeopathic term proving described the process of giving homeopathic remedies to healthy people and recording their various symptoms. The logical principle is that when the same symptom recorded in healthy people appear in sickness, one can be directed to the homeopathic remedy needed. The same remedy causing the symptom, when sufficiently diluted, can be delivered to trigger the natural healing powers of the body. And I won't enter into the high dilutionist, low dilutionist, believe me, it's a whole messy struggle during those years. But for our purposes, the revolutionary idea implemented at the turn of the century in various homeopathic pathogenetic laboratories was that of using laboratory techniques to monitor the physiological changes after the volunteers were given homeopathic remedies. So the, the old Hahnemannian terminology, the totality of symptoms, originally stressing the individual and mostly subjective patient symptoms, suddenly received a, a, a kind of a scientific, twist scientific again in the sense of of this kind of more contemporary ideas at the turn of the 20th century to record by different machines the different physiological symptoms. So according to this methodology, all laboratory data was pertinent. 
Finally, homeopathy and the new laboratory methods could meet to form a prolific practice of scientific research, and the, those physicians promoting homeopathic physicians, researchers promoting were very uh, aware of that. What is also interesting that because of the seriousness of this endeavor by those promoting it, students were required to participate as provers. And I'm quoting to do a certain amount of original work in the pathogenetic field. And medical students were also very proud, many of them, to participate. There was a journal called Medical Student, and many of them are reflecting about uh, uh, their role. And uh, part of it was also a demand of modernizing homeopathy, uh, because the old provings made by the founding fathers uh, were perceived as outdated and, and needed to be replaced by more scientific uh, provings based on more uh, accurate measurements. So, for example, if you take uh, the time, uh, uh, an article published by, again, John P. Sutherland, the, the dean of uh, Boston School uh, of Medicine, um, for him, it was quite clear that homeopathy should be a branch within a, a, within regular a medicine. Okay, so he's publishing an article, Why Add the Study of Homeopathy to the Study of Medicine? So I'm quoting, I wish to protest against the implication which is contained in the phraseology of the question that homeopathy is something apart from medicine that is added to the letter. In the contrary, I want to assert that homeopathy is an integral part of medicine and has been for one and quarter centuries that medicine is decidedly incomplete without homeopathy. That is the only direct and specifically curative principle in what they were calling pharmacotherapeutics. But what also made Boston University School of Medicine unique in comparison to other homeopathic colleges in this period was the process of introducing other new scientific ideas, not just limited to drug pathogenesis uh, or the renewal of homeopathic materia medica. While homeopaths were debating the responses to the rise of bacteriology, Boston University School of Medicine was quick to adapt vaccination and antitoxin treatment as a scientific proof not only to the law of similars, but also to the homeopathic principle of the low-dose treatment. So the Massachusetts Homeopathic Hospital, for example, the hospital affiliated to Boston University School of Medicine, introduced this new treatment into its wards, and the medical school curriculum was also updated uh, accordingly. It is important to understand that although in the long run these changes were crucial in understanding future transformations and dilemma in homeopaths' professional identity, getting closer and closer to orthodox medical practice, yet at the time Boston homeopaths perceived themselves as promoting the homeopathic uh, cause, because many times it's kind of being, you know, read to the past saying that, okay, they are now just assimilated. But at the time, for them, this was vindicating homeopathic principles according to what they perceived to be as part of scientific medicine. This enthusiasm from the new therapeutics did not end at the bedside. Bostonian homeopaths were publishing their clinical experience and also their original research in the pathological laboratories, in homeopathic literature, but also in orthodox medical journals such as the Boston Medical and Surgical Journal. And in, what is interesting, in, in the annual report uh, from the turn of the century forward, scientific publication of faculty members were mentioned, adapting another orthodox value developing in the same period, the medical school devoted not only to teaching, but also for publishing uh, scientific uh, research. So here you can see, uh, this is 
it's, it's hard to say what above it. You have the Massachusetts Medical Society and the Massachusetts Homeopathic Medical Society signing together, actually uh, promoting vaccination and against the anti-vaccinationists. So there were homeopaths that were anti-vaccinationists, but the Bostonian homeopaths were pretty much working together with, uh, um, you can see the Massachusetts Medical Society and the Homeopathic Medical uh, Society. And here you can see an example. This is Conrad Weselhoft. Uh, Weselhoft was a very famous homeopathic family, and uh, he was a graduate of, uh, he was sent by his father, uh, William Weselhoft, to Harvard, and then he returned as a faculty member at the Boston University School of, of, of Medicine. So the tendencies, this tendency shared by the majority of early 20th century homeopaths, of course, did not reveal the only possible vision of how homeopathy should be practiced and developed in a scientific way. Although the majority of the American homeopathic profession accepted the new spirit of specialization and innovation in bacteriology, pathology, and other sciences, there, were also, there was also very strong opposition. I don't have the time to discuss it today, but especially a group of what they, they were termed the high delusionists, they resigned from the American Institute of Homeopathy and established the International Animanian Association. So the debate over what should be the profession image was especially strident between the rural practitioner and urban homeopaths, most of them connected to medical schools and, and hospitals. The rural homeopaths, many of them in eastern Pennsylvania and Chicago area, tried to promote a, most, a more separatist homeopathic uh, identity. And now to the Flexor report, but resistance to the new homeopathic ideas of scientific medicine arrived also, of course, from the regular profession that viewed with ridicule the homeopathic attempt to endorse the new scientific methods. Nowhere was this view expressed more clearly than in the Flexner report. So, although Flexner claimed that uh, in his investigation he treated the various medical schools in the same manner, he devoted a special chapter to alternative medicine name, named the medical sect. So you can already understand from the term. According to Flexner, in the new regime of scientific medicine, there was no place for old dogmas. And this is a very famous quote. This is precisely the quoting, it is precisely the function of scientific method in social life, politics, engineering, medicine, to get rid of such hindrances to clear thought and effective action. Scientific medicine therefore brushes aside all historic dogma. It gets down to details immediately. All are required to undergo rigorous cross-examinations. Whatever make good is accepted, becoming so far part an organic part of the permanent uh, structure. I'm going to make a very historical uh, uh, point here, but if you read, by the way, evidence-based medicine, EBM, uh, there are certain uh, similar, this is very historical, but uh, sometimes it's uh, interesting to see the, these kind of uh, exclamations. The sectarian position was self-contradictory. According to Flexner, adapting the basic science in the homeopathic curriculum and then teaching homeopathic materia med medica and therapeutics was conceived as a paradoxical move as a compromise between science and revelation. In general, the Flexon report, though, was quite favorable to the Boston University School of Medicine conditions. Although lamenting the low entrance requirement, merely a high school diploma or an equivalent examination, which Flexner described, quote, as markedly below the four-year high school standards, Flexner praised the laboratory and clinical facilities. In part flattered by the report, uh, John P. Sadon and the dean nonetheless criticized its arrogant uh, stance. And I won't make here, there's a very fierce quote by, by Sutherland. So, but 
the Boston University School of Medicine situation was not so simple. The whole medical system in the U.S. was suffering a sharp decline in students' enrollment, ranging from 30 to 60 percent. Rising costs of modern medical education were another factor in shutting down many medical schools. The enrollment problem was felt even in a more acute form in homeopathic medical schools, including a BU School of Medicine. So after a successful campaign for the purpose of raising money from the endowment fund of, of BU School of Medicine, a similar educational campaign was launched which involved public lectures, printing and distribution of thousands of pamphlets and letters, and uh, fascinating. World War I made the enrollment situation even worse. Many students and professors recruited to the army, including a, a homeopathic hospital that was sent uh, to, to France, which is another interesting uh, story for homeopathic physicians and, and nurses. Um, and this was catalyzing a heated debate on the school future. Resonating was the warning of the Committee on Medical Education of the uh, AMA against uh, this committee uh, after surveying Boston University in 1917 that unless a minimum number of full-time paid teachers and technicians were hired and necessary additions were made available equipment, the school would be rated B on an ABC uh, uh, scale. The lack of experimental pharmacology laboratory, a deficiency already indicated by the Flexen report, became part of the debate within the BU School of Medicine. The question was if there should be more teaching of physiological therapeutics according to the methods of the dominant school, or if there was enough old school therapeutics. To make the long story short, because I'm running, I guess, uh, out of, I'm running out of time, uh, there was a whole debate, including alumni, uh, what should be the direction of, of the medical school. And what is really interesting that finally most alumni were actually uh, uh, proposing, uh, most of them favored the removal of the sectarian designation and 80% favored the establishment of courses in old school therape therapeutics. And Conrad Weselhaft was the perfect person that was uh, from a homeopathic family, uh, trained in Harvard and now teaching a kind of bridging uh, those two uh, 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 roles. And finally, the decision was, and I'm quoting the sectarian designation of the committee, uh, the sectarian designation of Boston University School of Medicine be abolished and the representation be made to the Council of Medical Education of our non-sectarian attitude request uh, for classification among the non-sectarian uh, institution. The homeopathic community was stunned by what was perceived as a treacherous abandonment of a long horrible uh, uh, tradition. Immediately after the decision, several articles were published in homeopathic journals, uh, such as the New England Medical Gazette and the Manning Monthly, the Journal of the American Institute of Homeopathy, you know, pro uh, and con, and then this term to Bostonize homeopathy was coined, uh, meaning, and I'm quoting, to act dishonorably, to give up a sacred trust handed down from one's uh, uh, predecessor. So the final uh, uh, kind of point is that Boston University continued teaching homeopathic course until 1938. After the reorganization in 1921, 40-hour lectures on the history of medicine, the principles of homeopathy and drug pathogenesis were taught in the third year. In 1926, the course became an elective, uh, and the course of only eight hours was left as a requirement after, until its cancellation in 1938. By the way, interestingly enough, in, in many places, finally homeopathy was placed, guess what, with the history of medicine. Um, and this was true for, I guess, uh, all, all of the, what used to be the, in San Francisco also, and in Philadelphia, and in other places. 
So just to, to finish, I don't have the time to cover the University of Michigan, but in the Bentley Historical Collection at Ann Arbor, you have uh, tens of tens of, of, of uh, uh, about more than 100, I think, letters that I collected uh, that are discussing similar issues. And finally, uh, uh, and then there, the alumni was totally uh, against it. And what I argue that it's very important to understand that the homeopathic scene was not monolithic, of course. Uh, also, the regular <laughs> scene was not monolithic. And the unique Bostonian context of homeopathic practice can help us initiate a more, maybe more thorough analysis of different homeopathic answers to the identity crisis the homeopathic professionals facing in the post-Flexner area. And I just finish with what, in many ways, I think Johnny published it in the 80s, an article about scientific medicine, and since then you've published quite many of them. Um, as historian of medicine, Professor John Harley Warner eloquently showed, scientific medicine is a dynamic term, meaning different things to different physicians in, in, in different places and times. And the debate over the proper meaning of scientific medicine was not over at the turn of the century, as many times it, this is, seemed to be the, uh, the picture. So although facing hard times, homeopathy was still viable in the post-Flexner era. The closure of several homeopathic medical schools was part of homeopathy, rethinking its direction and relationship to the orthodox medical profession. And today I was trying to follow just one vision of scientific medicine of one group within the homeopathic profession. Thank you. Thank you.